Morning. Hey, uh, thanks for being here. And um, so when you come back next week, what time are you going to be here? 10 o'clock. We have one gathering next week. It's 10 o'clock. It's the only one that uh, we're doing that this summer. Um, and we're just having a summer celebration. We'll uh, meet in here at 10, um, have a gathering, and then we will enjoy some food trucks and kids will enjoy, I don't know, I think we have bounce houses. I don't know. I'm sorry if I just lied. But some stuff for the kids that will be fun. And uh, so we'll see you next week at 10. All right. So today, if you're a guest here to Rolling Hills and you're just like, hey, I'm traveling and 4th of July, I'm going to go to church. And uh, well, congratulations. You're here when we're teaching Genesis 19 on Sodom and Gomorrah. And so just, uh, you know, this, it doesn't happen every week, but um, that's where we're at. And uh, so also... Fair warning, um, you know, if there was ever an NC-17 chapter in the Bible, here we go. So uh, here's the context. Um, angels have come, talked to Abraham, saying they're come to, they're, they're going, they've heard the cry of the people who have been economically, sexually, physically abused by those with power in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God's heard the cry. And so these angels um, have come to judge, give God's judgment on Sodom. And Abraham says, you know, um, God, you're a, you're a just and righteous God. And so is it okay to wipe out righteous people because of the sins of evil people? And God says, well, no, you're appealing to my righteousness. I am righteous, which means the essence of God is everything he does is right, fair, just, okay? And so Abraham's appealing to his character. And so Abraham says, hey, if, if you can find just 10 righteous people in all the city, that means people who have a trust in God and they are seeking to live out his, um, by treat, treating other people right and treating people justly. If you can find 10 of those, will you save the entire city? And God says, yeah. Says, if I have 10 people who are going after me, I, I can um, impact their lives so they, they impact the lives of others and we can, we can maybe see some change and, uh, in people's soul connected to their maker. So he says, 10 people. So now we pick it up today. These two angels are coming to Sada and they're looking for 10, okay? They're looking for 10 righteous. If they don't find them, the city is condemned. It's better to wipe them off the face of the earth because of the pain they're causing others. And uh, so that is the judgment of God. So these 10 in chapter 19, take your Bibles out. Man, make sure um, if you can remember, bring your Bibles, you know, the one with pages and stuff, um, because you can write notes in those. And I, I like my my Bible app on my phone. And so take that out as, um, you know, as a second choice. But, it, you know, if it, you're like me, it's not as easy to write notes in my Bible on my phone. So um, bring your Bibles. Chapter 19, verse 1. Here we go. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Okay, Lot is the nephew of Abraham. Okay, Abraham's brother's son. Abraham's brother died young. And so Abraham raised Lot, all right? And then he told Lot, 
when they got to um, this area in the promised land, he said, okay, we, we both have um, kind of some big businesses happening here. We have a lot of cattle. We have a lot of sheep. We um, just can't park our stuff together because we will, we will use all the resources of the land. And so we need to divide up. So Lot, where do you want to live? And so Lot decided, okay, I think, you know, what's best for my business and for my economic success is to, is to go to Sodom. And so that's where Lot is. But now Lot's not living in a tent like Abraham is. Lot is living in the city. And evidently he's quite successful because he's influential. And the gate of the city was, um, well, it's where the Bema seat was, which was the place of judgment. So you brought your disputes of the city to the gate of the city. And walled cities um, had two gates. They had an outer gate and an inner gate. And in between there, there was quite a bit of space. And um, that's where judgments would be made. It's where, you know, kind of the social influencers of the city would hang out. Uh, people who were influential would hang out in that area. And Lot is hanging out there, okay? And so he's not just a visitor anymore. He's an insider. And so he sees these visitors coming. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, bowed himself with, with his face to the earth. And so if we go back one chapter, chapter 18, when these visitors came through and Abraham saw him from his home, he went out and did the exact same thing. It was customary. You treated passers-by with great care because that was a huge value in, in that culture because if you ever had to travel, you had to depend upon strangers, the kindness of strangers, for your well-being and safety. So that was a value, and Lot was doing good, okay? Just like Abraham did the chapter before. Now it starts getting really messed up, all right? And uh, we see that Lot, even though he had some good thinking there, he has been, uh, he's not doing well and neither is his city. So in, he meets these strangers, he falls to his face and then we find out oh, that there's a little motivation behind what Lot's doing besides the cultural value of being hospitable. And that is he's saying, you guys have to stay at my house. I know in most cities, People hang out in the square. There's places for them to you know, spend the night. And, uh, but you can't do that here. Come to my house. And uh, Lot knows something that he doesn't think these, these strangers um, do know. And so he invites them to his house. Verse 4. Here we go. But before they lay down, so the two guys hanging out with Lot at his house, the men of the city, they, they heard that there's two strangers that have come to Sodom. And so the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man. So I'm thinking it's basically making the point, every guy has come out, okay? Young and old, men and boys. And they surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them, okay? This is not, hey, we want to get to know them, want to hear their story, you know, it'd be fun. No, this, is, this no is the sexual version of no, all right? And so what's happening here in crass terms is the men of the city have come out because they want to gang rape these two visitors of the city. How messed up is that city? I mean, how messed up? I mean, I don't care. Um, I mean, in most cultures of the world, no matter what, your culture thinks about sexuality, 
Um, most of us would stack hands on this is evil. This is wrong. I mean, how can a culture get to a place where they see sexually abusing somebody else is, is okay and fine? That's the mess. I mean, you wonder when God heard the cries of the people, how many of those were strangers who passed through Sodom? I mean, this is, it's a very, very messed up situation that um, in a place where Lot has chosen to live. And now we know what Lot knows. Now we know why Lot was going, hey, you need to stay at my house tonight, is because he knew um, what this place was like. So out of the gate, here's a thought for us. We don't want to be like Lot. We don't want to be like Lot. Our decisions today influence our future thinking, loving, and living. Um, Lot has been, is being influenced by this culture, and we will see it. Like so far, we're thinking, okay, Lot's trying to save these two guys from the culture. And uh, so that's good. So there's something in Lot. I mean, Lot was raised by Abraham and Sarah. Lot, I mean, one of the things that Abraham and Sarah regularly did when they were traveling is they set up a tabernacle to worship God. And Lot was there with them. And so Lot saw that. Lot, Lot became a worshiper of God. And yet now he's in, he's in Sodom and he made the decision of where he's going to live based upon how can I have the maximum standard of living I can, I can have? I mean, how can I be economically successful? How can my business boom? And that's what he's thinking. He's, but he's not thinking, I wonder what kind of impact this will have on me and my family. I wonder what kind of community I can build to help me know and understand God and follow him instead of being just, you know, washed by the tide of cultural values. And he didn't do that. And as a result, we will see how messed up his thinking is. And so for you and I, how are we doing with me? I mean, our decisions matter. Our decisions matter. And so we, we make decisions about, okay, where am I going to live? And who are my friends going to be? And is there a community that I can find and build that will help me in my spiritual journey? Because there's a, I mean, life is confusing. Messages are confusing. And it's changing. Messages are changing. And how do I navigate that? I need other people who have a perspective of, I want to follow God. And what does that look like? And how does that look like now? And Lot made a poor decision about where he was going to set up camp and um, how he was going to navigate his times. And um, I mean, Lot is no longer living in Sodom, but Sodom is living in Lot. And so let's look. Well, it's, I mean, it says both young and old, all the men, all the last men came out. And so, I mean, this is a society that is at the place where they think it is totally fine for me to use someone else for my enjoyment and to meet my desires. And so how do you get to a place where your mind looks at other people around you and doesn't see people of value and worth, image bearers of God, but you see people as commodities, as objects? You know, how do we get there? Well, it says every last man, every last, and boy came out. So uh, we know that most of them are there to watch. They're there to watch. In our day and age, 
We call that the internet. You know, most of them are there to watch. So how, how do you get to a place in your mind where you start seeing people as objects? Internet porn. I mean, we know that. I mean, there's studies done on the impact on our minds and how it impacts how we think about others. We start thinking them um, as commodities. We, we dehumanize them. We objectify them. And we start seeing people as things to use for my pleasure. Man, we look at Sodom and we go, oh my gosh, this is brutal. And I don't think we're in Sodom. And some people say, oh man, if God doesn't judge us, then he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, I think that's pretty silly. But I'm starting to think maybe we can see Sodom from here. You know, because the things that we are making decisions to expose ourselves to have an impact on our souls and our ability to see people the way God sees people. And so how are we making decisions that uh, impact our lives and our souls? So what is the sin of Sodom? You know, there's, there's debate over this. Um, some people have misused this passage to attack other groups of people. Um, and I, I think, you know, no matter where you are in our world, because you know, we have hot sexual topics right now, you know, uh, LGBTQ+, um, transgender, you know, th those are hot sexual topics and, and changing topics um, in our culture right now. And no matter what you, you're at in that conversation, I mean, probably all of us would agree, gang rape is wrong. This is wrong. This, what's happening in Sodom is wrong. Okay, and so what does the Bible say about why God is bringing judgment upon Sodom. Um, and the Bible speaks to it a couple of times, Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50. Behold, this is what the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty, proud, arrogant, and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. God is saying, what did God compliment Abraham on in 18, in chapter 18? He says, you are reflecting my character. You are righteous and just, which means you are treating people well, and you are standing against people who are being treated poorly, those who are marginalized in society. And here in Ezekiel 16 said, one of the sins of Sodom is that if you had influence and affluence, you used it to oppress others with less. And, and God throughout the Old Testament and New Testament says that that is a sin and an offense to him, especially if you're claiming to be a follower of his. He says, then you will connect to his character. And his character says, you will use your influence and affluence to help those who have less than you, which is a which is a universal principle because I don't care where I am on the socioeconomic ladder. Um, I have more influence and affluence than some people, no matter where I am. And God's saying, if I have his heart, I'm going to have a heart for other people to see how can I can help them. How can I help people who have less of a voice 
and who are more marginalized than I am in society, how can I help do what's right for them? And God says, that's my heart. And so if you're following me, that's going to be your heart. And if you're not, if you're walking away from me, you'll see people as, how can I use them for my benefit? And so in Ezekiel 16, God's saying that's a core issue with Sodom. They are not reflecting and seeing people the way God does, but they're, but they're using and abusing people. In Jude um, chapter 1, verse 7, and if you're looking for chapter 2 of Jude, you're not going to find it. There's just one chapter in Jude, verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise, likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Okay, so this is saying they were messed up in their understanding of their sexuality and how they used their sexuality. And that's called immorality, okay? And so before we just start casting stones and saying, man, Sodom was so messed up because they thought this was okay. And they even, the kids even thought it was okay. Well, and we can say, oh, that was so wrong. Well, why? Well, because our culture says it was wrong. Well, but a lot of the cultures have different opinions. And so we, we got to go to something besides our culture because our culture's changing all the time. And here's something else about our culture. No matter where you lived in the history of humanity, you are in a culture and you probably, for the most part, bought into that culture that it was superior. And so we, we can be arrogantly minded if we think our moment in time, our culture is telling us truer things than other people's culture. We got to go to something else because culture's changing all the time. And other we just say, no, nope, that one's wrong. Mine's right. Why? Well, because that's what my culture says right now. Well, that's, we got to have something more than that. And so the question is, do you, do you believe in God? I mean, sincerely, in your heart, do you believe there's a God? Do, do you believe he wants to be known? Do you believe he created you for a purpose? And he created you to enjoy him and to live well with others. Well, I believe that. And if you're a follower of God, you need to think about that. Because then it's like I have a God who's telling me what human flourishing looks like. And it doesn't get washed around with the changing tides of our culture. But we can actually say, no, this is what human flourishing looks like. And this is how I need to follow God because I trust him because he made me and loves me. And so when I'm confused about what's going on around me, I can know I can trust him. That's the life of faith with God. And anything else is a life of giving lip service to God and then doing what you want to do. And God's saying, hey, do you believe I'm God? Really God? Then does that mean I know more than you? Oh. And so it's a core question when it comes to these hot issues and hot cultural issues is where are we going to where are we going to get our truth from? 
And God says, I'm going to give you truth because I want you to know how I made you and how I made you to flourish and how I made you to treat other people. And I want you to take that seriously. So I take my journey with God seriously. And then he tells me, you're going to be living, no matter what your culture is, in a culture where most people don't. And so how do you treat them? With judgment? No, I'm judged, God says. How do you treat your neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Take your sin seriously and love your neighbor as yourself. And usually when we get into issues and sexuality issues, we, we define good and, well, maybe God understands based upon how we're living. And then things that we don't understand about sexuality, we're not drawn to, we, we easily put that into something that, okay, that's wrong. And I'm going to judge that, and I'm doing okay, even though I'm not really hitting out of the park, I'm, but compared to that. And God says, no, take your sin seriously. Follow me and love others. Okay, so what does God say? Um, well, we're going to have to do, do a, you know, a 52-week series on this. Um, he says a lot, so let me just boil it down. He says uh, sef- sex is something he created for us to be enjoyed. It's like you're saying in your head right now, okay, stop, just right there, Bill, that's good. Um, and he did. He, he, he created for us to use and enjoy and protect. And he said, I created that for a man and a wife to enjoy in a marriage commitment. And he says, in a marriage, you're going to give a whole life commitment. And when you do that, then you give a whole body commitment to be enjoyed, but also to um, allow yourself to be more connected to each other in that unity of marriage. And we know that now because, you know, based on great research, and it's kind of a newer study, neuroplasticity, study of the brain and how our brain reacts to different things. We know when we're sexually involved with somebody, there is chemicals going off in our brain that is telling our body and our mind that I am especially committed and connected to this person. Our brain's reinforcing that. Do you think maybe God did that? Yeah. Whole life commitment, whole body commitment, and I am going to allow chemicals to be firing off when you're engaged in a sexual relationship with your spouse so that you are more connected than ever. And we mess that up uh, it does all kinds of things to us. And one of the things, and you, you've seen this, and, uh, and hopefully it isn't you, so let's just think of somebody else. But have you seen a person who's a friend of yours, who's super bright? I mean, they're wise, discerning. They're a person that you would go to for counsel to get you through confusing, difficult relational times. And yet this person is involved in somebody that's a total, complete loser, and they won't dump them. Have you ever seen that before? Yeah, I mean, over and over again, I've seen that. Why is that? Because when you're sexually involved with somebody, your body and mind is telling you, stay connected to them. 
Because that's what God, how God built us for a sexual relationship inside marriage. It actually serves us in the purposes of God, but it works against us when we go outside of that. All right, and so that perspective of sex is totally different than the perspective that our culture is telling us. So what do we do with it? Do we say, I, you know, the culture's overwhelming, I just gotta go with that. Or do we say, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to align to God because I know he loves me and I know I can trust him and he has what's best for me. And so I'm gonna go after what he says instead of what my culture says, which is a moving target. And so that's what God's saying. Now then, since most of our culture wouldn't agree with the definition I just told you that God is, is giving to us regarding our sex and sexuality, then um, how do we treat others? Love your neighbor as yourself. When people who don't trust God act differently than what God says, we should not be shocked by that. We shouldn't be, oh my gosh, I can't believe our culture. I mean, they're following their moral compass that they probably have more integrity than most Christians. God's saying, take your own journey seriously. Not perfection, but humbly repent when you get off track. You know, my doctor tells me that I need to hate carbs. And he says, you know, it's not that you hate the taste of carbs. You need to hate what carbs do to you. I mean, carbs taste good. You know what the Bible says about sin? It often is very attractive and feels good. And then it bites you. You committed to follow God because he has what's best for you, even when it's hard to understand and it doesn't feel good, but you hate sin because of what it does to you. And it's done a number on Lot. It has messed him up and confused him. Okay, a couple resources for you. Um, you know, on uh, this, this hot conversation that's happening around us, regarding transgenderism, LGBTQ+, and maybe you're in the midst of trying to figure that in your own life. Um, we just don't have time to unpack it all, but I'll just say um, every person, I mean, you talk to one person about their sexual journey and you've talked to one person about their sexual journey. I mean, as we, as we engage with people and even in our own lives and trying to think, okay, how do I follow God in the midst of this? Um, you need to know that you're engaging with somebody at chapter 13 of their life. And so we engage in love and we listen and we care about people's journeys. Because the truth is, all of us are on a journey of trying to figure out our, our identity. And the culture dictates and points us in directions that says, you might find it here, go after that. You might find it here, go after that. You might find it here, and, and it's, there's unending opportunities to connect ourselves to value and worth. And I mean, where do we find it? And God says, you find it in me. I created you 
for you to know that you are known and loved by the God of the universe. And that's where you find your, find your value and worth. But most people um, aren't looking there. And so we'll, we'll keep looking. We'll keep looking. So um, here are some resources. Preston Sprinkle has done some great writing on what does God say about these areas and how do you engage it, not only with, with clear thinking from God, but with a heart that doesn't treat this as an issue because we're talking people. This is a people journey and we need to love people. Even people who think differently than us. But so we need to think clear and we need to love people. All right. And so I, in, I think Preston Sprinkle does a great job with that. Um, really gives a good look at what is, what's the heart of God as, as, as explo, you know, exposed in scripture about these, about these conversations and about these journeys that we're on. Um, Mark Yarhouse is a clinical psychologist. He's a Bible scholar. He's a professor at Wheaton. Um, and he has done some great work uh, to help understand if, if these, um, if you haven't experienced uh, gender confusion or have somebody close to you who's on that journey, then you're probably going, I don't get it. Um, Read Mark Yarhouse or go online and Google him and you'll find uh, messages that he's done in different seminaries or seminars. He travels around and speaks to groups and he just says, here's my understanding of, of God's perspective. And I think he does a pretty good job with that. And then um, here's an understanding that for this to make sense of the journey people are on. And um, this book is, it, it's, I don't know, six, seven years old now, which is really old when you think about uh, the conversation that's happening uh, around gender dysphoria, but there's a new thing called um, rapid onset dysphoria, very controversial. It's just talking about how our culture is changing and how it impacts primarily our um, youth regarding their thinking of themselves, being cisgender or being a person who was born male and thinking you're male or born female and thinking you're female it is not a um, highly thought of thing right now. Um, social media is given all kinds of information about how alternative views of sexuality is uh, good for you. And it, 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 it's confusing. And Mark Yarhouse does a great job with that. Um, our website, rollinghills.org uh, slash about slash what we believe. Um, we have, you know, what's our understanding of the Bible? What, what is God saying regarding different topics? And so we look at the Bible from a holistic perspective is what is he saying? And so we, we look at LGBTQ sexuality issues, transgender, and say, okay, does God give any um, guidance in these areas? And then how, um, how do we love people in the process? And so um, you can go there and find some information on that as well. All right, let's march on. Okay, so now we're, gonna, we're, we're diving deeper into uh, Sodom and its troubles and lots and how Lot was own thinking was messed up. Verse six, Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. So he's going to the men of the city who he's supposed to be an influencer of. And he's saying, you guys are so messed up. This is wrong. And then Lot says, instead of doing this, you should do what you should do this. And here's Lot's solution. 
Verse eight, behold, I have two daughters who've not known any men. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they are under my roof, the shelter of my roof. How screwed up is Lot? I mean, what, what kind of judge is he about? What's his moral compass? Yeah, I don't want you to gang rape my two guests, but you can, you can gang rape my daughters. It just makes me want to puke. How messed up is Lot? He, he grew up in a Christian home with Abraham and Sarah. How messed up is, is his mind? Man, can, does, does culture, does our surroundings, do people that we allow influence have an impact on us? Yeah. I mean, Lot has lost all ability to influence anybody else for good because he's lost all perspective of what that even means. And so don't be like Lot. Think, love, and live like Jesus and have spiritual influence on those around you. Uh, remember, he's at the city gate. He had influence economically, politically. He had a great company, great business, but he has no influence towards people and their souls. Sodom is living in Lot. Nowhere in chapter 19, in the midst of this unbelievable thing, I mean, no, nobody have, none of us have been in this situation. Nowhere is there any glimpse of Lot going, God, help me. God, how do I handle this? God, save me from this. None. There's, there's no hint that he has a relationship with God. And so in your life, if we were to take away Sunday mornings and just look at the regular patterns and behavior of your life, would anybody have a clue that you're a follower of Jesus? You know, as we look at Sodom and just start taking shots at Sodom, taking shots at Lot, which is, you know, I mean, I was looking at this all week, going, uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, in the pages of my Bible, a mirror would fall into it. And it's like, there I am. Now, about my protecting my relationship with God? Is my life one that reflects a real, genuine relationship with my God and Father? Do other people see it? Do I have influence? for the good of the souls of others and their well-being as a whole person? Do I see people as people to be used, things to be used, or I see, do I see the, the image of God in them, or I value them and respect them, no matter what they think on some of these issues? Lot had lost his compass. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 to 10, write this down, look it up later. You know what Peter says about Lot? He was such a righteous guy. I mean, he, his, his heart was disturbed by Sodom and, and God rescued him. How can he be righteous? Only way I know he can be righteous is because he's forgiven by a God of grace. 
I mean, this story, if, if you're new to the Bible and you're thinking, hey, you know, it should be giving us examples of you know, righteous living. Now, the Bible mostly gives us examples of train wrecks and shows us how good God is. That God constantly pursues us with his mercy and grace and doesn't give up on us. Lot was a guy who, whose soul was saved. I think he had a baby understanding and trusting God that came from his upbringing. Lot had a saved soul and a wasted life. God's saying, man, protect your relationship with God. Follow him. Enjoy him. Trust him. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. Trust him. And then love others. If you read the rest of this, um, it kind of gets worse. You know, Lot, did, did he have any, any spiritual influence on his own family? It says he goes, and when the angel said, okay, there's, there, are, there are no 10 righteous, we're going to judge the city. We have to stop this evil. It says, well, go and get your family. Lot runs to his son-in-laws, and so he has other daughters who are married. He runs to his son-in-laws and said, we got to get out of here. God's judgment is going to fall upon Sodom, and they laugh at him. No, no, no influence on his son-in-laws. He goes to his wife and, and he says, okay, God told us to get out of here and don't look back. And then Lot's wife looks back, turns to a, silo, a pillar of salt. And we think, oh, it's kind of like Medusa, you know, I mean, slipped a glance and boom, she's frozen. But um, Jesus actually spoke about this. And Jesus said she looked back with a longing of not wanting to follow God, but wanting to go back to her life in Sodom. Lot had no spiritual influence on his own wife. When he finally does escape and he escapes with, the, with his daughters, um, he has no spiritual influence on them. In fact, he had negative influence as far as what they thought was right and wrong. Here, dad had already tried to give us a way to be raped and now they do stupid things. Mammy, God work in our lives to where our kids see mom and dad who are actually enjoying God because they know that they're, they're loved by God and they can trust him. Even when voices all around us are saying, no, live this way, do this, find this. It's like, no, I can trust God. We need to take our decisions and our sins that don't line up with the heart of God, we need to take those seriously and then love our neighbor as ourself. Let's uh, bow in prayer. Um, Father, as we reflect on this chapter and how brutal it is, it's just brutally honest about how lost we can be um, Father, we just humbly come before you and say, man, I, I can be 
so lost too on my own. Depending upon who I'm listening to and, and when, I can be totally confused and lost from who you are and how you're guiding me in life. And so I come to you with a humble heart and repentant heart. And God, would you just work in us to see clearly and to trust you. And Father, for anybody here today who has been trying on their own to clean up their life because they, they know you're real and they want to make themselves presentable to you, Father, would you just lift that off of them and, we, and, and help us to know that you're not looking for perfection. You're just looking for humble hearts that will turn to you and trust. Father, help us to uh, be reflections of your truth in our own lives and lovers of people around us. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This morning we have uh, really a cool opportunity to celebrate as a faith family as we witness the baptisms of a couple people. And a baptism is something that Jesus said, I want you to make an outward um, symbol or, or declaration of what's going on inside you. And so he himself was baptized by John the Baptist. And it was the idea, I have, I have been cleansed by the forgiveness of God. And I come out of the water as a new person. God sees me as innocent and holy because he sees me now through the eyes of his son and what Jesus has done for me. You know, as we look at this passage today, one of the thoughts could be, um, I have a hard time following God that sends, that judges people like that, that sends people to hell. And I hope what you're seeing in this is God does everything he can possibly do to save us from it. And that was also seen in that he gave his only son to die on the cross for our sins so that we can trust in him and be forgiven so that our rebellion against God can be washed away. And so as we uh, celebrate the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, we get to do that as a faith family as we watch some bap um, baptisms this morning. So this is a family party thing. We are not like in church and sitting on our hands. And mm, that's, well, that's lovely. But we are hooting and hollering because we see God's working in people's lives and we love that. And so uh, let's watch the first testimony. 